Ben Horowitz, where are you? You sneaky guy. So, <clears throat> you know that Ben is not only one of our deacons now, he is also an intern because God's been doing a work in his life. So I'm not going to say too much. Except, it's awful hard for me not to want to ask everybody to glare at you. Because he has been so nervous about this for months, and COVID made him wait longer, which just means you've probably lost more weight, worrying, right? So, are you okay? I'm, oh, yeah, I, yeah. He's, he's okay. Do you mind if I pray for you? Come on up. I'm going to get all this junk out of your way, brother. I've been looking forward to this, and by the way, I will be on duty starting at the end of the month after John Edwards and right through the next couple of months after this, okay? Let's pray. Thank you for our brother. Lord, when, when Ben experienced looking death in the face, he came back different. We're all in a growth process. Nobody has arrived, but something happened. And when that happened, I said, and I'm not sure we all understood what I said, what I meant, this is normal. This is what happens in the life of true believers when the Holy Spirit deals with us and we stop saying, I'll give you a little bit, just leave me alone. Speak through our brother, give him clarity, give him wisdom, give him peace. And Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Thank you for the grace working in him and everyone else whose ears are wide open this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. All right. Now, you wouldn't think me getting a microphone in my hands or on my shirt would make me nervous. But um, I was just telling my wife a couple minutes ago, I'm actually in AFib right now. <laughs> and my, my beautiful, wonderful wife says to me, just go take a pill. <laughs> So if you saw me run out the back of the church just a minute ago to go to my car, I just really went and took a pill. Okay, so I, um, I you know, I, I taught for the, I'm going to pace, Ryan, yell at me if I get out of the thing, because I'm, I'm kind of a pacer. Um, I taught for the Department of Corrections for 17 years. I taught classes in front of hundreds of people. I never had issues. This has made me more nervous than anything else in my whole life, because what we are, what I am going to do is try to put out truth. And that's what I want. I want God's word to be and the Holy Spirit to speak. Um, so I'm going to pray for, for us today. I'm going to pray for what we're going to be talking about. And uh, just guys pray with me. God, we are thankful that uh, you are patient with us. That you are a God of second chances, of third chances, of fourth chances. You are a God of transformation. And we're going to talk about that this morning. I thank you for what you're doing in my life, what you're doing in the lives of people here at this church. I can see it. I can feel it. You can feel it in worship this morning. It was awesome to be here. So God, I just pray that you would continue to work and do what you're going to do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I get this chance to preach, okay? Uh, but, I don't know. I, I could never envision myself here five years ago. All right, And I don't think anybody in this church could envision me standing here five years ago. But God has different plans. Huh? Yeah, you got one. All right. Um, the thing is, I was supposed to preach a couple weeks ago and I was supposed to lead worship that morning, this, you know, the whole thing. So I had 17 songs picked out for that morning. 
I figured it'd give me, what, five or six minutes left to preach? You know, and then I go to Mike Hopper, can you do that for me on, on Sunday? And he's like, yeah, no. I said, all right, so how about the 28-minute version of Waymaker? You know, we, we could try that. He wasn't cooperating with me this morning, so I guess you guys have to listen to me. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if I'm a preacher. I don't know that's... So, is that how that works? Because I remember you doing that last week, so, all right, so... All right, so I get my first chance to preach, and what do I come in? I have a hooded sweatshirt on. Really? You know, I should be in a tie and, you know, no. Okay, but I have a hoodie on. And there's a reason I have a hoodie on, because of what the hoodie says. And it's the title of my sermon this morning. So, ouch, Ryan, you want to, that is going to be annoying, by the way. Ryan, you want to throw that up there for me, buddy? All right. I want to thank Ryan for making up all the slides. All right. If you guys sat through my discipleship class downstairs, you know there was a lot of grammatical errors. <laughs> all right. I don't type. I talk to my computer and it types for me. So it does make a little. So Ryan, thank you for doing this. The title of my sermon this morning, guys, it was because I was one way and now I'm completely different. And again, we have a little asterisk by it because we took the title from the, the TV series, The Chosen. I am wearing the sweatshirt with the entire phrase on it, and I will get to that in a little while. All right? So I'm going to share with you this morning, oh, about the sweatshirt. I just wanted to get a little side, I, oh, that's going to be bad. A little side note, all right? I was wearing this sweatshirt, uh, we were at a staff meeting one day, and, and I drove home, and uh, I drove by the hot dog stand, so I had to stop. I know, guy with a heart attack having a hot dog, probably not the smartest thing in the whole world. But I think it was Providence that I stopped. Of course, it was Providence, right? Hot dog. So I go to get a hot dog, and the lady at the hot dog carts reads my shirt. And she says, what does that mean? I spent the next 15 minutes having a conversation with her simply about what God had done in my life. So I'm just going to encourage you guys, if you're going to be prepared to, to, to talk to people. People are going to ask, okay? So this morning I want to share with you a story about a guy who grew up in church, knew all the right things to say, right? knew all the right things to do. It's a story about a guy who thought he was right with every fiber of his being. He was on a mission from God. That is my movie reference. Some of you guys will get that. Some of you won't. <laughs> but I thought, I thought I had to throw one in there. And he was doing God's work, or so he thought, until the day he had an encounter and everything changed. How can we talk about all this encounter series without talking about the encounter of Saul on the road to Damascus? It's got to be one of the first things people think of when they talk about Acts. The story I'm telling you sounds like my story. And it is similar to my story. But it's not. It's about Saul. I'm going to thread my story into it. I'm going to talk about some of the things that God did. There are some similarities, and I want to put right out there right now, I in no way, shape, or form think that I am Paul. Okay? <laughs> so just, all right? Um, so the title of my sermon this morning is I Was One Way, and now I'm completely different. Our text this morning is going to be Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. And I don't even know why I brought my glasses up. Because I can't read it anyway. <laughs> All right. So now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if they found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. 
As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Oh, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias... And he said, here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight. And he got up and was baptized, and he took food and strengthened, and was strengthened. And now for several days he was with the disciples who were in Damascus. Excuse my back for turning to read that. I couldn't read that. My glasses don't work that far away. So that was how we had to work. <laughs> That's why I turned around. Right away, put that verse, uh, the first, first verse of that back, back up, Ryan. What I want to talk about a little bit is Saul, is Saul. This whole thing is about transformation. All right? Right away in verse 1, or we get this glimpse of who Saul is at this point in his life. It says, who is still breathing murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. All right? We know Saul was a Jew with Roman citizenship. He was a Pharisee trained under the teaching of Gamaliel. Gamaliel, all right? It sounds like something out of Lord of the Rings, don't it? <laughs> Just saying. A very highly respected teacher. Um, I have read, and I don't know how true it is, that Saul may have even been present at the crucifixion of Jesus. It's possible. I don't know how true that is, but I, just, I was reading in the book. This guy, Saul, was not, by our standards, a good guy. Um, Steve Atulis was, was preaching on Stephen, the stoning of Stephen a couple weeks ago, and I grabbed something from him because I think it, it grabbed me at the end when um, Stephen was, his last words, don't hold it against him. Saul was there. Saul was holding the coats. He condoned it. 
And this is a guy who God says is a chosen instrument? How is that possible? How is it possible that somebody who did what Saul did, and you, you keep going down and talking about it. Right, he wasn't only president Stephen Stone, and he gave the approval. And in verse 3 it says, oh, I'm sorry. Can you throw up Acts, excuse me, 1 through 3? Chapter 8, please. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at the time there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and taking men and women to prison. Saul was not only President Stephen Stoning, he approved of it. But it said, it said he made havoc and began to try to destroy the church. The New American Standard uses the word ravaging the church, which I thought was a lot more graphic. He was going from house to house. Where did the early church meet? In people's homes. He was actually going there to go get these people from their homes. Okay. And it even mentions that in uh, Galatians 3. Um, it, uh, one, or excuse me, one thirteen. It says, For you have heard my conversation in the, in the time past of the Jews' um, religion, how, I beyond, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And those are, those are Paul's own words. The early Christian church, I said, gathered in people's homes, and he was hunting them down without mercy. Here's the thing. Saul thought he was right. He wasn't a criminal. He didn't think of himself as a criminal. He thought he was absolutely right in what he was doing. And according to what he had learned in the law, he was right. He was very zealous about this as well. Saul went to the high priest. It wasn't good enough that he stayed in Jerusalem hunting people down. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to go outside of Jerusalem. This is how zealous he was. So that if he found any belonging to the way, and again, I come back to, I'm a little bit of a science nerd, the Mandalorian, the way. <laughs> That's what they called, yes, Ryan, yes, the early church. That's what they called the way. So he said if he found any belonging to the way, that he would arrest them and take them back to, from, to Jerusalem. Galatians 1.14 says, and he profited in the Jews' religion above many of um, my equals. But I, I profited in the, in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. You remember, Paul was a Pharisee. He was trained. Right? So here we have Saul on his way to Damascus now. He's on his way to go get Christians, collect them up and take them back. And this is where his life changes forever. Saul has a life-changing encounter with the risen Christ. Now again, this is the risen Christ he has this encounter with. Can you imagine what it must be like to have a creator of the universe call your name and say your name out loud? Saul. Saul. 
A bright light flashes and Saul's driven to the ground and he hears the voice call out and say his name. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul asks, who are you, Lord? And the voice says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I kind of had to look that up a little bit because I was actually wondering if Saul knew who that was when he first asked, who are you, Lord? I didn't get a clear answer because the, 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 the word Lord could either be used as sir as a respect kind of thing, or the actual Lord. So I, I don't know. I'm going to have to ask my, my uh, mentors here. All right, and it's in, in this moment, Saul's whole life changed, and it came crashing down. And when he realized everything he thought and he knew was wrong. I just said earlier that Saul thought he was absolutely right. In this one moment, it's all wrong. I think I can relate a little bit to that. And I told you I was going to feed my story in a little bit. Because I have a moment similar to that. Where everything that I thought and I realized and I did came to this crashing halt. And I realized that everything I was doing was wrong. I was kind of debating on whether where to start the story. So I said, well... Most stories start in the beginning. So I was born in a log cabin. <laughs> We're not going to go that old? Okay. Um, for you guys that have been in a church a while, um, you guys know I had a heart attack. And I had uh, quadruple bypass surgery. Um, I had some issues one here one morning. And I had to have somebody fill in for me. There was a lot of providence in everything that went on. And I will tell you before the story starts, the heart attack and the surgery was the best thing that ever happened to me. Oh, by the way, the over-under on me crying more than three times is three. Okay, so <laughs> I'm going to try not to. I'm going to go right to the moment. Uh, you know, um, I, have the, I have the heart attack, and the doctor tells me you had a heart attack, and he said it was a pretty significant one. I go in for the test where they want to see what kind of blockages there is and everything, and they won't even let me walk out of the, the hospital. He says, you're not walking. He says, you could be dead any minute, and I don't want to be responsible. So you're not allowed to move. And they put me on a stretcher, and they put me in an ambulance, and they took me to Columbia Presbyterian Hospital in New York City. I think I'm more terrified now, actually, than I was then. <laughs> anyway, that was a Wednesday, and I was in shock, and I didn't know what to do, and I was, like, trying to grab onto straws. Now, if anybody knows me for any long, any period of time, they know that I'm kind of a control guy. And Wow, really? I'm kind of a control guy. I like to control situations, and it's always been in my nature to do so. I took a job where I could have control. Jane, you know. It, it really does get to your head, okay? And I thought things that I was doing was absolutely right. God had a place in my life, and I was a Christian. I wasn't a healthy Christian. But God had a place in my life, and I took him out of his box when I needed to use him, and I put him back in the box when I was done, because I was still driving the truck. Me. Okay? So here I am. Thursday, I get to meet the surgeon that's going to split my chest open. He comes in, and he starts talking to me about the surgery, what they're going to do. And me, still being me, because I have to control every situation, I say to him, so... What's the risk factor involved here? Like, that matters. 
And he looks at me and he laughs at me. My surgeon laughs at me. And he says, are you kidding me? He says, I can tell you that you will have a 90% chance of dying on that table tomorrow and it's a better chance than if you don't have this surgery. You are going to die. There's the moment. That's the moment. It's the same feeling that Saul had on that road when he realized everything in his life, I had nothing to grab to. It was like God took it and said, we're done. Now you are where I can work with you. Finally, you are where I can work with you. I wasn't a good guy. Saul wasn't a good guy. Saul was a chosen vessel. I'm hoping, and I think that God chose me because he saved my life. I'm here for a reason. (laughs) Told you I was going to cry, but it's okay. It's good. It's good. That was the moment. And here's the other part of the story I'm going to go into that that I almost hesitate sometimes to talk about. Saul has the God of the universe call his name on a road to Damascus. You know, I I, I hesitate because people look at me sometimes like I have two heads. Linda went home that night from the hospital. And I went and sat in my hospital room by myself. I don't think I've ever been more scared in my whole life. For the first time, I'm looking mortality in the face. You know, I think, I just retired, by the way. It was eight days after I retired, I had a heart attack. If you guys know me, you know where I was moving to, right? Everybody knows, in this building knows, there was nothing going to stop me from moving to Florida. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Tell God that. So I'm sitting in this hospital room. I am terrified beyond measure. Never been in this place in my whole life. I'm completely lost. I don't know what to do. And I hear Ben. As sure as I'm talking to you in this room, it's exactly what I heard in the hospital room. It wasn't in my head. It was voice. And it said, my name. He said my name. And he says, you know you have to go through this. I know you're scared. But I'm here. Believe it or not, that's completely on you. I, I, like I said, I hesitate sometimes. I think it's, it's easier for people to believe that my house is haunted than it is for the God of the universe to talk to me. That's why I kind of picked this story. My life changed forever that moment. And I always tell Linda, how can I have the God of the universe call my name and me not be changed? 
This story is about transformation. Saul has the God of the universe call his name on a road to Damascus. And it changes him forever. Whew. Ah. I, I, you know, and God doesn't give Saul any time, by the way. And he didn't give me any time either. He's like, transformation, now it's time to go to work. He tells Saul, get up. <laughs> go to, you're, going, you're going here. And the people that were with him take him there, and they take him to the city of Damascus. And there's many traveling with Paul who just stood there. Apparently, Saul was the only one driven to the ground here. When Saul gets up off the ground, he can't see. He is blind. So the men, because they heard the conversation, they take him to Damascus. It doesn't really go into detail about the eating and drinking. It says, you know, for three days. I think Saul was just trying to grab a hold of what happened. I really do. I think he was praying. I think he was driven to this point where he just was trying to make sense of his life again. All right. So as Saul's there in Damascus, completely blind, can't see, right? everything in his life completely wrong, he just was trying to deal with this, right? God calls this guy a disciple, and he's not one of the disciples, but he's a disciple there, and um, his name is Ananias, and he speaks to him in a vision. I thought it was kind of interesting that Ananias answers, here am I, Lord. We talked about this in, uh, again, I did the, the um, discipleship class on hearing from God. Ananias gets a vision, and there's no question to Ananias who's talking. He knows. Why? Because the sheep know the shepherd's voice. Ananias is a disciple. Ananias has a relationship with God, and he knows God's voice. He says, go to this street named Straight. I think Tim and Ashley live there on Straight Street. <laughs> All right? and, he, <laughs> and inquire in the house of Judah for a man named Saul from Tarsus. For he's praying, and he's seen a vision, basically, that you're going to come and lay hands on him and regain his sight. Now, Ananias is a good, good, shep, good sheep. He's a good disciple. And this is why God chose him. And he says, Ananias, I need you to go to the house, and I want you to go lay hands on Saul. And Ananias says, whoa, 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 whoa time out. Time out. Time out. God, have you heard about this guy? Did you Google him? God says, I know all about him, basically. Saul's reputation was out there. I told you before, he was zealous. He was out there to get this reputation. Ananias knew of him. But God says to him in verse 15, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. And I love that. God didn't choose a really good guy to go be a witness. God didn't choose somebody who was, you know, ready to run. God chose a guy who was out to destroy his church to end up being a witness for his church. That's how God does things sometimes. He says, I chose him to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. God converts Saul to Christianity. The, the people that he hated. God makes him be one. Because that's how he does things. See, Saul has some biases that are automatically kind of in his life. I said earlier that Saul was a, a, a Pharisee and he was a Jew. 
So automatically, the Gentiles are not his favorite people. Saul doesn't think they're worthy or worth anything. Saul doesn't think Christians are worthy or worth anything. What does God do? Makes him a Christian and sends him to the Gentiles. Are you kidding me? But that's how God works. So I said, how does this work for me? Well, I had to really think about this. And I have some biases in my life, and I've had them for quite a while. I think part of them, again, I'm going to refer back to Jamie because she can experience, comes from where I worked. Kind of instilled. So God does this amazing transformation with me and with Saul, and he sends Saul in. So how does he do with this with me? I, I have these biases. And these are things that I thought was right. And here's the problem with this bias. Here's the problem that I have. And, and this is the problem that God has showed me. Having a bias for a people or a race or a religion or anything else puts me in charge of saying who, and who is not worthy. I have to remember that every single person on this planet is an image bearer of the Almighty God. Who am I to make that decision? In my arrogance and self-righteousness, I stood there and made those decisions. The story came in and hit me hard when Tim and I one day, Pastor Tim, went to Middletown. And we were after staff meeting. We went to go to lunch. And we went to this place called Holy Dog to get a hot dog. It's It's Providence. Providence. And I figured with the name like Holy Dog, they can't be bad for me, right? <laughs> Let me tell you something, they're not good for me at all. <laughs> they were amazingly good, and I should never eat another one. Anyway, we, t- Pastor Tim says to me, hey, you know, there's this building in Middletown. Let's go take a look at it, because it would be really cool to be like a, a, a ministry building. So we go down to the parking lot, and we're kind of looking at it and praying about things. And I get out and do my thing, and I walk around the building. And I get around the backside of the building, and I look, and there's a guy sitting on the loading dock. He's got a paper bag between his legs. He's drinking. I don't know what to do with it. I look at him, and all of a sudden, he goes like this. And he waves at me. And I go, okay. So I start walking over to him, and as I'm walking to him, he says, You have the hair of an angel. (laughs) And I go, well, well, there's a way to start it off. So I walk over to him, and I find out his name is Larry. All right? Larry has been stuck in my brain since this day, and God will not let him go away. Pastor Tim comes over, and he says to Pastor Tim, Hi. He looks like Moses when he came down from the mountain. He's glows. I'm like, wow, this guy's not going to stop. So for the rest of the afternoon, he called me Moses and Pastor Tim. That's what we were. We were Moses and Pastor Tim. We talked to Larry a little bit. We were finding a little bit about his story. Larry was half drunk. Um... But he was still, I said, what are you doing here? He says, I'm praying. 
okay. I said, we were looking at this building maybe as a possibility to do ministry or a church building. That would be good. He shakes his head. And we talked to him a little more and find out that his brother had recently died and he is just struggling. And as we're, you know, and we're kind of looking for some kind of confirmation thing that, you know, hey, God, is this something from you? And as we start to walk away, we say goodbye to Larry. We start to walk away. And Larry says, hey, Pastor Tim and Moses. We turn around and he goes, you know, if you put a church here, there's going to be a whole lot of people coming. We got in the car. And I said to Tim, you know, not too long ago, I would have said, Larry's a waste of oxygen. Who am I to make that decision? I have no right to say that, but I did. And I believed it with all my heart at some time in my life. That this man wasn't worth anything. There's an entire broken city right down the road. Are they worth anything? God's eyes, they're worth everything. My eyes, he was worth nothing. And as far as I'm concerned, he didn't have the right to breathe. How dare I? You know, we, we, I hear conversations all the time. If there are people that you think are untouchable, or in your life that you don't think are worth it, you need to recheck your thinking. Because God made me recheck mine. Not only did he make me recheck mine, I've been asking God since I got home from the hospital, God, what do you want from me? What do you want? You let me live. Why did you let me live? Why did you let me live? It can't be just to do the same thing I was doing. It can't possibly be that. What is it? I'm a sophomore in college. Yeah. I'm a sophomore in college going to school to get a biblical degree, a degree in biblical studies with a concentration on worship so that I could be a worship pastor. I didn't think being a worship pastor would put me up here to preach. Thank you. (laughs) I said this would be a whole lot easier if I had a guitar in my hands. Trust me. But I'm still questioning God. Why did you send me to school? For what? For what? What am I supposed to be doing with this? I've shared it before and I've shared it with the pastors. God's not going to tell me what I'm supposed to be doing because if he tells me, I am going to drive the bus. I'm telling you right now. Hey, I want you to have, I'm going to get in. I'm going to say, you sit in the back. I got this because that's my makeup. And he knows it. But he did give me a clue. Shortly after I uh, had the dealing with Larry... He says to me, God says to me, yes, he talks to me. This wasn't out loud. This was in my head, by the way. (laughs) I sent you to school so that you could learn how to minister to 
and love. The people you didn't think were worth it. I don't know what that means. I don't know where that's going to take me. But I have to say wherever it takes me, I got to go. It may not be at Harmony. It won't be Florida? (laughs) No, it'll be Alaska. I don't know where anything, anything, anything more about what, what all this is, except that I have to go to the very next class, and that's all God's telling me to do. You go to the next class, and we'll, we'll, we'll straighten it out when we get there. And for the first time in my life, I'm comfortable not knowing. Because for the first time in my life, I trust God with all of this. Saul was changed forever with an encounter with God. Saul suffered and trusted God with his whole life. All the training, all the bringing up, all the teaching that Saul had didn't matter after he had this encounter with God. That's where this shirt comes in. Because... We have a God of transformation. It's not the encounter that's important here. It's what happens after the encounter that's important. Every one of these encounters we've talked about, there's always been something go on afterwards. A change. Or sometimes not a change. The rich, young kid that God, that Jesus calls on the road, tells him to drop everything. That's an encounter with God. See, he had an encounter with Jesus. He made the choice not to change. Jesus didn't chase him, did he? Didn't go after him. He made his choice. When we have an encounter with God, you have to make the choice. There it is. You're going to change. You know, not everybody is going to have these amazing encounters with God. You know, it's the way God reached. I used to say to God all the time, if you're going to talk to me, you can't be subtle. Because I don't do subtle. Yeah, well, you know what? Here, a heart attack. Let me split your chest open and see how subtle I am. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I asked for it. Thanks. Um, transformation. We have a God who changes lives. Those broken people in Middletown, their lives can be changed. It is not our job to condemn them. It's not our job to save them. It's our job to introduce them to the one that does. That's our job. Because we have a God who can change their lives. Like he changed Saul's on the road to Damascus. Like he changed my life in a hospital room. I was one way. Now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in the middle was him. Let's pray. God, thank you. For allowing me to tell this story. Thank you that it's you that get the glory from this. It is nothing I did. I did nothing, God. I was supposed to die. You had different plans. We thank you that you are a God that changes lives. 
I'm thankful that you are a God that changes lives. Help us this week to look at ourselves and see if there are those people in our lives that we don't think are worth it. Because God, you think they're worth it. They are image bearers of you. And we have no right. No right to cast judgment. Forgive us, God, if that's what we're doing. Forgive me for doing that. Thank you for changing lives. In Jesus' name, amen.